0: And we're reading from verse 17 all the way through to the end of chapter 11. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. You have said, no, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Samuel also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men. Sorry, verse 26. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, How can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead and all the men of Jabesh said to him make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him. Give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen and he asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000. And those of Judah, 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, Say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, By the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, Tomorrow we will surrender to you, and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of the Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who was it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us, so that we may put them to death. But Saul said, No one will be put to death today. For this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration.
1: Like uh, this morning, to consider three themes: the theme of evil, the theme of sight, and the theme of salvation. But before we look at this passage, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we we need sight from you, and without your Spirit uh, enlightening our eyes. We are blind. So come now, Lord. Lord, give us sight that we might see. And uh, transform us, Lord, that more and more we would be uh, like your son, Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So the king of Israel, the first king of Israel... Has been anointed secretly, secretly anointed by Samuel. But he hasn't been revealed to the nation of Israel yet, and the identity of the new king is made known in this uh, way that Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah. And the first thing, so imagine this, I'm just imagining, and in my mind, Samuel, the great prophet, <laughs> and, uh, summoning the whole nation. Would be a quite a sight, a na- summoning a nation to him, and he he actually says some pretty harsh words to this nation. One little man, and this is what he says: "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said: I brought you up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you, but you, you have rejected." Your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. You've said, no, appoint a king over us. So God has done good things, really wonderful, wonderful things for the nation of Israel. But the people have said, no, we, we, we just want a king like the other nations. We don't want, want God as our king. Nevertheless... Um, despite this madness in the heart of the people of Israel, a kind of madness that says we're going to reject God despite all that he's done for us. Nevertheless, Samuel goes ahead with the public selection of the king and uh, he invites all Israel to come forward and I'm just imagining this in my mind, all Israel coming forward and then they cast lots, it's a little bit like throwing a dice And in casting the lot, the tribe of Benjamin was selected and then the clan of Matri. And then finally, after these lots were cast, Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. The man, the same man that God had secretly anointed or Samuel had secretly anointed at God's instruction was now publicly identified by all the people. However, he was missing. No one knew where he was. And they thought to themselves, Is he, hasn't he come here yet? But they asked the Lord and the Lord said, yeah, he's hiding in the supplies. And so they ran and they found this man. When, they, when, when he came out, he was a head taller than anyone else. And uh, they all shouted, long live the king when they saw him. Long live the king. He was hiding Maybe because he just wasn't ready to be king yet. Maybe he was hiding because God had called him, but he just wasn't ready for for what he'd been called to do. Samuel explains to the people the rights and the duties of kingship and he wrote them down on a scroll. So he writes all the the, the king's duties and rights and writes them on a scroll and it says that he deposited them before the Lord. So I'm imagining him taking all these duties and rights of the king and putting them in where the ark is, where the ark of the covenant is, saying basically, yes, this is a very, very powerful king now. This is a powerful king, but he's accountable to me. And should he just decide to do whatever he likes, there will be consequences because all his rights and duties are there deposited before the the Lord. It mentions here also um, some valiant men that go with Saul, that the God had touched their hearts, and also some scoundrels. And they scoundrels say, can this fellow save us? And they had no confidence. They, they, They spoke badly about Saul, but Saul didn't do anything. Time passes, and it doesn't seem like the king has done a lot. There was a Philistine garrison near Saul's hometown, but there's no report of Saul doing anything about that, uh, even though that they were an enemy threat. In actual fact, in the next chapter, we find out that Saul had gone back farming, and there he is with his oxen. And so there'd been these ceremonies, there'd been these occasions of selection, but there'd nothing on the ground much to speak of. Nothing really seems to have changed. But then something terrible happens, which does change everything. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. Now, if, you can, if you've got it possible that you can picture in your mind uh, the land of Israel and you can think of the Jordan River, then Jabesh Gilead was actually on the eastern side of, of the Jordan River, up north, a little town, somewhat isolated. And an enemy nation, the Ammonites, ruled by a man called Nahash, came and besieged this town. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. Nahash Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all of Israel. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine um, the horror of that? Gouging out the right eye of everyone. When I first read it, I thought it was men but it says actually everyone. And can you imagine them saying, okay, we're going to make a treaty. We're going to be subject to you. And then they line up for this brutality. Just this most horrible, hor- there's something sick about this. Do you know the name Nahash means serpent? And what we're dealing here is with, is with evil. We're dealing with something Truly terrible. These men and women would be maimed for all their life. They would be looking at each other for the rest of their lives in total disgrace, total shame. The neighbours would look on them, the other neighbouring nations, and just say, oh yeah, that's that little despised people. And just imagining when little kids were born and they'd look at their family and say, why has everyone lost an eye? it was horrible the elders of jabesh said to the elders of jabesh said to the the ammonites give us 7 days so that we can send us send messengers throughout all of israel and if no one comes to rescue us we'll surrender to you And so the the messages went out and I'm just imagining those seven days. I'm just trying to put myself in their place. Seven days of horror because there wasn't much expectation that anyone would come to save them. Seven days of sleeplessness and just sick and horrified. They sent the messages out. No one's crying out to God, it sounds. No one is actually even saying, well, maybe the king could help us. There just seems to be this helplessness and hopelessness. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, when, when these messengers came to the hometown of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud And just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen. And he says to them, why is everyone weeping? What's wrong with everyone? And then they repeated to him what the men of Jabesh had said. There he is, Saul coming from the fields. And this news reaches him of this horrific, evil that was going to happen and everyone is weeping but it's at that point that everything changed when Saul heard their words the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger he he didn't weep everyone else was weeping but not Saul the spirit of the Lord came on him and he burned with anger and as he came to terms with what was at stake here, he took a pair of oxen and he cut them into pieces and he sent the pieces to messengers throughout all of Israel. So there he is, getting his oxen and killing them, cutting them into pieces and giving them to the messengers and said, send these out into all of Israel, proclaiming that this is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Samuel. This is a huge move. Like it's a massive move. He's, what he's saying is that I am totally serious about this. I am furious with anger and I am sacrificing what is personally valuable to me because I'm throwing my whole self, my very personal self in behind this, this threat. And I'm going to send evidence right across Israel And if you don't join, there'll be consequences. In other words, with these oxen that he chops up, it's a vivid way of communicating to the nation the urgency of what's at stake here and communicating in as loud as he possibly can to the whole of the nation. It says, The terror of the Lord fell on the people and they came out together as one. And when Saul mustered them at Bezek, and Bezek was about, I think, about 20 Ks from Jabesh Gilead, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah, 30,000. What a difference a leader makes. This little scattered, helpless group of people that, that had no um, sense of of being able to accomplish anything and then the spirit of God comes on a man Saul and here is this massive army assembled and they say to the messengers go in to Jabesh Gilead and tell them say to the men of Jabesh Gilead by the time the sun is hot tomorrow you'll be rescued you'll be saved and when the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. And I'm just trying to imagine being in that city, in that walled city of Jabesh-Gilead. And, and you just think that the, the worst horrors of your nightmares is going to come. But then messengers come and say, by, by tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will be rescued. And they must be thinking, wow, 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 we're going to be, the the, the nation has stood up, they've they've come together, we had no hope that this would happen and now the nation is coming to our rescue against this terrible evil and the the words there are that they were elated. There's a sense in which they may have even felt very undeserving because in the book of Judges, Judges this town had not joined in at another occasion when they were expected to. So, by the end of this story, the well, what happens is that, in the watches of the night, they must travel about twenty k's by on by land, across to Jabesh Gilead, and there, in the watches of the night, attack the Ammonite army and get a great, great victory. It says that they slaughtered them, and at the end. They sacrificed to the Lord and there was a great celebration because they were free. They were free of what was going to be the most worst nightmarish horror that could ever happen to them. At the start of the story, there is weeping. At the end of the story, there is great joy and celebration. And Saul says, the Lord, the Lord has rescued Israel. Something about the theme of evil, something about the theme of sight and something about the theme of salvation. First of all, the theme of evil. Nahash's name means serpent. And we're dealing here with the evil of someone wanting just to for his own pleasure and and, and for the disgrace of um, the people of whom he was opposing to to gouge out their eyes. And if I understand it right, it wasn't just the sheer disgrace. It was that for most people are right-handed and so they have got their bows and arrows or their shields in their left hand and their right, their, their right eye is the key eye for for being able to engage in battle. And if they've got no eye in their right, no right eye, they're disabled for battle as well. And so here is this um, enemy, Nahash, that desires to bring disgrace on these people. And they, it seemed like they were powerless, just totally a sense of powerlessness uh, against uh, this, this evil. And it's not as though they... It's a kind of a, of a, path, a pathetic picture in some ways because they just feel they're like they're totally at the mercy of the Ammonites and they're going to have to accept their terms and they're just sort of waiting for these horrors to come. Do you know in our world today, in 2019, there are great evils... Evil still is around, terrible evils, terrible evils in our world. You know them, you've seen them, you've been horrified where something just really sick, really terrible is happening that that defies any explanation. A really wicked thing at wartime, this terrible darkness before I, before I was a Christian, I read the words of a man called Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Do you know, when we think of evil, we tend to think of us and them, that we're the good ones and those ones, they're the evil ones. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a a Russian who served in the Red Army in World War II and he came to witness some terrible atrocities of war and he wrote some letters that were critical of Stalin that ended up him being imprisoned. And from his jail cell, lying on his straw in terrible suffering, this is what he wrote... Well, this is what he wrote after that. He said, Gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor be- between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And even the best of all hearts, there remains an un-uprooted small corner. Evil. Here in our world, there is this terrible enemy. It's evil. Secondly, something about the theme of sight. Because you see, the Ammonites were going to take out the sight, one of the eyes, of the men and women of Jabesh Gilead to have their sight impaired. But do you see there's spiritual sight impairment here as well in this story because the people when they heard the news were weeping. They they, they had no hope. All was darkness to them and all they could do was just grieve and weep. There was no hope in God. There was no hope in Saul the king. Even their weeping was like a, a, a vote of no confidence. We don't think Saul can do anything about this. So everything seemed darkness. But when the spirit of the Lord rushed on Saul, he had sight. He saw something totally different. He saw that this is not the way it should be and it's not the way it's going to be. He saw that God, in God, there was, there, was, there was hope. And he had vision and sight. He developed a strategy and a plan and and that he saw that things were totally gonna to be totally different. It was, it was by the Spirit of God that he saw things. Totally different. And oh for the Spirit of God to come to us as individuals and as a church just to see things differently. Just to see things that they're not the way that everyone else sees them. To see that there's hope and that there is a God in heaven and no matter how implacable and horrific the enemy is, there is hope in God. Oh for sight. Oh, for God to give us sight. But lastly, I want to say something about the theme of salvation. The theme of victory over evil. Because at the beginning of this story, these men and women and children in the city of Jabesh Gilead were in, a, can you imagine a more horrible situation to be in? Um, they're just in this horrible situation and, and the messengers are going out seeking rescue, seeking that there would be salvation somewhere. And, and Saul musters these 330,000 men and a leader had arisen He had a vision, and the most terrible evil, through the power of this army, was conquered completely. It brought salvation. It brought salvation. Do you know in the Bible, the theme of conquering evil is a a massive theme, the theme that evil would get conquered? What about evil today? Do you know if God decided to come today and to wipe out all evil, there'd be no one left. Because I'm the preacher and I know um, that there's things that I've said and thought and done that are bad, that are not good. They're, they're, and you, you too. <laughs> the trouble is if God comes and, and brings it to say, well, I'm just going to wipe out evil from the world, none of us are going to be left standing. There's a huge danger if God decides that he's going to wipe out evil. But if he does nothing and he says, okay, I'll just hands off, then evil wins. Evil prevails. So what should God do? How is he going to bring salvation? A thousand years later, there was a sign placed above a man. And it said, King of the Jews, king we've talked about the first king of Israel but this is the last king of Israel and there was a sign placed above him he was on a cross and he was dying and the sign said king of the Jews and and you would look at him he's beaten and bloody he's he's nailed to this wooden cross and you would say there is defeat there is total evil has conquered you would say Evil has won, you would would conclude. It seems like the furthest thing from victory that you could ever imagine. But what you need to know is that what God was doing with this final king of Israel is that he was not getting victory over bad people. Do you know what he was doing? His vision was much, much, much bigger. He was getting victory over sin and evil itself. What Jesus was doing on the cross, the, 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 the place where Jesus was crucified is called Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where death rules, where the place where evil is enthroned. And what God was doing in Christ is that he, Jesus was going to the place of the skull to the place where evil ruled and he was being crucified. Why? He was going into the jaws of death and he himself goes into the jaws of death but conquers because on the third day he rises again. He himself had committed no sin. When Jesus rises again, On the third day, he is rising in victory over all evil. I don't care what evil now faces you in the world and what evil is in any country of the world and what evil is facing you personally. Jesus is a risen one. He is the final king. He is powerful in all his strength and majesty. And he is the one that has come... Do you know in Isaiah 61, Jesus picks it up when he starts his ministry. When when, when the spirit comes on, on Saul, he had sight and he was empowered. When Jesus comes, he picks up Isaiah 61 and he quotes it and he said, The spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the captives, sight for the blind. He is saying, "I, yes, the spirit is on me and I have a vision for a much greater victory than ever was accomplished by King Saul against the Ammonites. It is a victory over sin and hell and death itself. And do you see that Christ is defeating death Look. I'm dying. And so are you. Our bodies are coming to an end. But there is this extraordinary and glorious hope in Christ. That that death has been defeated, evil has been conquered. And he is the one. He is the one. Do you know it says in Colossians 2.15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. All, no matter what enemies, no matter how many devils, no matter how m- devil himself, he, he triumphs over them on the cross through dying and rising again. We are a people and he is, Christ is calling us now to follow. Sheldon helped me this morning when he said to me, you know, and it was helpful because I was thinking, you know, with Saul... He, he cuts up the, the oxen and he sends the message out and he said, if anyone does not follow me, this is what's going to happen to your oxen. So it's a threat. It's a threat. But Jesus sacrifices his own body and the way the message goes out is through his own sacrifice of himself. And it's not a threat, it's an offer. If anyone would come, if anyone would be in my kingdom, if anyone would be in my army, will you come? Will you come? He's offering his whole self, his whole self given to the victory. And and Christ is calling each one of us, oh, please don't be on the wrong side of this battle line. Christ is calling us to himself that we would have our sins forgiven, That we would be brought into the kingdom of light. Do you know when I come to Christ and when you come to Christ, the evil in my heart is conquered. The blood of Christ washes me from all sin. He gives me the Christ's righteousness and he calls me into his kingdom. And so I'm asking you to come. Will you come? Many of you have already. And I'm just inviting you again. Come to this glorious king whose victory is insurmountable, is magnificent. He's worthy giving your whole life to. I'm telling you, your whole life. To this Lord, to this great and glorious King. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your victory in Christ. There's nothing like it. We so much need you, O God. Uh, Praise you for your conquering power and we want to come at the invitation, at the sacrifice of your son, as a message goes out of the sacrifice of Christ, we want to be those that with joy, with joy, join Christ, join the army of Christ and know the goodness and glory of your victory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.